Hello, I'm June Reed. And I'm Kyle Thompson. And you're listening to the 101st episode of General Intellect Unit. Um, I kind of forgot like to mention anything about that in the 100th episode, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I guess, you know, we started with episode one, so... Maybe maybe that was like the proto episode, and then this is the actual hundredth episode. Like 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 remember remember when there was like pedants like after the year two thousand were like, well actually the new millennium doesn't begin until two thousand one. That's that's what happened here. That's what is exactly what happened. So this is the actual hundredth episode. Uh, wonderful. <laughs> I way back at the start, I did struggle with whether we should start from zero, like three zeros, should be the first first episode. <laughs> but yeah, that would have actually made a lot of sense. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Um. Anyway, this time we are talking about a book called Entangled Life by Marlon Sheldrake, um, which I think was published in May of 2020. Um, following on, I guess, from the themes of the previous episode when we were reading tree stories, this one is all about fungus and um, the way the fungi entangle with all kinds of life forms and enable life on Earth, really. Um, it's, it seems from the story in the book that really life on Earth as we know it would not be possible at all without this kind of mysterious world of weird shit that happens below the soil. Yeah, probably, like, we wouldn't have any terrestrial life without fungi, at the very least. For a variety of reasons we'll, we'll get into. Um, as for, like, you know, listeners that might be curious as to why we're, we're reading all this kind of weird bot uh, botanical stuff... Um, <laughs> I, th I think this this book um, kind of continues the theme of the previous one in that it's kind of challenging us to think a little differently. Um, it's it like in in tree stories, the author kind of asked us to not to, to kind of give up on considering animals as the model organism and to consider plants as well. Um, this this book goes a step further and considers fungi as like real things that we should pay, pay attention to as as organisms and that we can kind of draw a lot of inspiration and a lot of lessons i think from that kind of realm um and one of the reasons i think that is like a, a thought that i had while i was reading this is that um in a lot of the study of human social systems and organization we kind of carry an implicit um assumption that uh, you know, humans are, are, are animals, obviously, and but we kind of assume that collections of humans, like in aggregate, would have animal-like characteristics. You know, if you consider Hob Hobbes's Leviathan, the front cover of that is extremely on the nose in this regard, in that it depicts a big animal made up of smaller animals, right? As as the Leviathan, as the sovereign, and. I think it's probably the case that human social systems are much more fungal than they are animal. And we can look to fungi and plants for kind of as as an intuition pump to get get our get our thinking juices flowing about how these large network organisms behave. Like so we have we have an example of networked organisms in fungi, and but what what is a human organism, like a, a collective social organism, it's probably much more like a fungus than it is like a human being. Yeah, and this is sort of something that I guess Marx points towards 
in his analysis of capital, right? That, you know, capital is this inhuman force that predominates over humanity, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I think that, you know, that kind of thinking about social systems is similar to the idea that, hey, maybe social systems are actually more like fungi than they are like individual uh, mammals or, you know, the mammal considered as a species being, um, or I guess I should say as a, as a species made up of individuals would be the correct way to say that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think we could probably, um, also, I mean, for, for us communists, it's kind of like interesting to think of these organisms that are highly collaborative in their kind of way of going about things, but are not, not exclusively. Like in the book, there's some really interesting stuff about like the ways that, um, the ways that fungi form relationships with other, other entities. And like, there's a huge amount of like collaboration and mutualism kind of going on there. And, the, but not, not exclusively. There's, there's competition and there's hostility as well. But like, I think that can kind of help us to kind of think of those kind of things as well. Um, yeah, and it, it, it just like challenge. There are so many things in this book, like sort of statements of fact about the nature of fungi, um, at least as well as we understand them, um, that are just like mind bending, um, and bending our mind in that way. I think is sort of working in the same direction as that neither vertical nor horizontal idea of like, okay, but what if we didn't think about it this way, right? Like, um, there's the whole thing in this book that comes up about like, maybe our equation of intelligence with brains is like a major problem with our way of thinking, right? Like it's, it's like a, it's, it's sort of like the, the verticalism versus horizontalism fallacy. Um, but, but in, in terms of, I guess what we could call intelligence, right? Um, so yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think touching on neither vertical nor horizontal is really great there. Cause like, I, I kind of had that running through my reading of this, this book as well, that like, it's, I think it pairs nicely with that kind of theory. Cause like, these are, these seem to be very diagonal creatures in, in the very, in, in, in that kind of way, right? That like, if you, if you, if you maybe finish that book and we're kind of like, okay, I want more kind of material to feed on here. Um, going and thinking about fungi and, you know, those kinds of things, like is like these dynamic tangled networks, you know, that get things done, um, that, de that deploy various strategies to get their shit done. Like, it's, you know, you can, we, we, we sort of talked about like in the last episode about tree stories, about how the tree is already sort of not the arborescent, right. Um, it's more rhizomatic, but like part of the reason why the tree is rhizomatic is because the tree as like a kingdom of biology, like has always coexisted with fungi. Um, like it's never not been in coexistence with them because like the idea of soil without fungi is kind of unthinkable. Um, <laughs> so like, there's this idea that comes up in here of like, 
you know, even just thinking about fungi, like, tends to problematize the very idea of species uh, and, like, the divisions of biology. I think there's a statement, something to the effect of, like, biology becomes ecology when you think about these things. Right. Very reminiscent of the um, recursive... The, the stuff in either vertical or horizontal of like the kind of recursively self-organizing universe, right? That like it's, it's, it's ecology all the way up and down, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so, and, and it's very cybernetic in that sense, right? Of the, the sort of like um, breaking down of individuals and like focusing on processes and so on. Um, yeah. So yeah, this thing is like, this stuff is such a trip. So I guess we should get into it. <laughs> Yeah, so I guess like the introduction, uh, what is it like to be a fungus, kind of gives us some of the 101, like introductory kind of overview of stuff that like, um, uh, one of the opening like pieces of the book is like, as we quote here, that fungi are everywhere, but they are easy to miss. Like that there is a lot of fungi about and they're very fucking important to life on Earth, but we, we sort of don't think about them very much and don't see them largely because they're hidden below our feet despite making up one of one of nature's biggest kingdoms right they're kind of in but underneath our feet but they're also just in the air yeah they're in my bathroom you know like they're they're microscopic like in some cases like it, it like yeah they're they're inside of us they're on our skin they're they're like literally everywhere on earth but at the same time they are not obvious to us unless we're like looking at mushrooms, which are not even definitive of fungi because they're a type of fruiting body of fungi. They're not what fungi are, right? In general, yeah. So this is the thing that's kind of like the most, the, the most kind of mind blowing first thing you encounter is that like, the the the, pro, the fungi proper are like made up of mycelium, which is like a tangled network of um, these strands, right? Um, like yes and no. Like so, mycelium, uh, as they say in this book, is better thought of at, not as a thing, but as a process or an exploratory irregular tendency. <laughs> so, like, we should think about mycelium as like the activity that fungus does, right? And then the the, the actual sort of like um, atomic unit of the fungus is something else. It's the um, the hyphae, yes, uh, or hyphae, as, as you can say, yes. So like that would be more like the thing you could focus on, whereas the mycelium is more of like, what fungus does. Yeah, like, if we take a process kind of view of these things, like, you, you can kind of look at, um, I mean, there's there's lovely pictures in the book of these, like, um, sprawling networks of um, of mycelium, and you could look at it and go, oh, that's a thing. But we, kind of like the mycelium is the residue left behind by the process that is the hyphal tip, uh, or the, the hyphal tips, plural, because there's a fuckload of them. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, they are like, the, I guess the reason why it's best to think about the mycelium as a process is that it it moves and shrinks and expands constantly and is always in communication 
and it's like a huge chemical soup that is happening um, in its environment. And so it's kind of like saying, like, if you throw a party, is the party a thing or is it an activity? It's a yeah, it's a process thing. And the the, the participants are the high full tips. They're the the kind of cutting the cutting edge of the activity, and the party is the residue that's left behind by all those like, all that activity. Um, I mean, you can think of like um, this is kind of where I was getting with the notion that human groups and social units are are much more fungal than they are animal. That like. You know, um, if, if I think of, if you think of like a, a political organization or a company or even a family or whatever, like you can kind of see how the, the, the people themselves are the kind of active cutting edge, like hyphal tips, um, that are kind of actively like, you know, tracing out a path through, through the world. And the kind of the group itself is the, is the, the, this residual or like kind of dynamically evolving network of residual kind of things that are like evolving with us, um, the, the mycelium. Um, strange, really fucking weird creatures. <laughs> like when you, even, even at this basic level, um, the, uh, there's a couple of other terms that come up. Um, so like then, uh, mushrooms are, you know, uh, fruiting bodies are just kind of like a, a special case for these things. Um, so you could have a, you could have a, a fungus that's like, stretched out over kilometers underground, but has like a couple of little mushrooms poking out of the soil. Uh, that's, that's how they distribute their spores. Um, there's, there's like a, there's, there's like another example that's given in the book where it's like, there is a building that, uh, some people are trying to like maintain and they find out that it's like, Oh, the, the, the floor is buckling. And it's like, why it's because there's fungus underneath the, the floor. But like, the feeding that the, the the fungus is doing is at like one end of the building, and the the the, the mushrooms are showing up in the kitchen. Yeah, right. The the uh. <laughs> there was there was a big knot of mycelium and the fruiting bodies in an oven, and there was this huge trail of mycelium all the way out and around the building under a bunch of like through walls and shed and through pipes all the way to like you know, a bunch of rotting floorboards somewhere. So like extremely distributed organism. <laughs> the other big term that shows up here is mycorrhizal, mycorrhizal fungi. So um, uh, uh, this is a combination of two terms uh, in Greek, uh, uh, mycos for fungus and rhiza for root. And this is the collaboration between these fungi and plant roots. So uh, spoilers for later in the book, um, plants when they came out of the ocean didn't have roots. They borrowed funguses to act as roots for them on their behalf. Yes. They eventually grew roots of their own, but the roots depend on their connections to mycorrhizal fungi to have any effect at all. So it, the, the boundary between the plant and the fungus is extremely blurry. It's like such a, it's such a trip, right? Because we sort of think about, um, you know, we, we, we reason about like the capillaries in our bodies and stuff in terms of like plant roots, right? Like that's sort of used as a paradigm to understand uh, what they do or like how we can think about them when we're just kind of like, you know, looking at an, an anatomical diagram and trying and trying to be like, oh, okay, like my body's kind of like a tree. Cool. But then we sort of like learn that the roots of plants are not essential to being a plant. And also that 
the roots are kind of like a behavior the plants do in order to imitate what fungi were already doing and to better facilitate their interactions with fungi. Well, the, 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 the fucking, the roots are like a docking station for fungi. It's an interface. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and it, in, in some ways, it's like supplementing what the fungi were doing for plants when they like washed up out of the ocean uh, initially uh, and became like terrestrial, but they were initially totally de- deracinated or they, they didn't have any roots. Um, and so, you know, like, you know, like uh, these uh, roots can you know, suck up moisture, or get nutrients, et cetera, et cetera. But they're really bad at doing that without fungi to help them Um, because it's really more of a supplementary thing than it is a fundamental thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like the the the, um, there's a lot there's a lot made here of the kind of the metabolic ingenuity of fungi. Like they're they're extremely good at metabolizing things like breaking things down. They can they can devour all kinds of shit like um, later they'll be. Um, they can eat concrete, they can eat cigarette butts, um, they can break down wood, they can break down all kinds of things and turn it into resources. There are even fungi who have like evolved to just live off of the live off of the radioactive output of radioactive waste. Like they don't they don't even live off of like decomposing food or off of like sunlight. They're just living off of radiation. Like that is that is so mind bending that it's like this thing that is so lethal to us. That's just your main food source. What? And like, so the, the, it kind of when you kind of think through the the met- metabolic stuff there, that like the um, the, t- the two big tricks they kind of perform are forming relationships and transforming things. Like they're they're excellent at chemically transforming basically anything they come in contact with, and then shuttling those little bits of resources like those like you know like they get phosphorus out of stone because like again a spoiler for later there wouldn't be any soil on Earth without fung- fungi to break down rock and turn it into soil and like to to extract extract stuff out of it. They they also are essential to soil because the mycelial lattices in soil is like what holds the, the clods of soil together and gives it like structure in a sense, right? Like a, a kind of like uh, um, resistance to just being dissolved or washed away by water. Which is, it's a wonderful double trick, right? They're, they're extremely good at dissolving things and they're extremely good at preventing other things from being dissolved. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and like that, like the fact that these lattices exist in the soil is like, it facilitates the growth of plant roots, right? So this is another thing we see a lot is that fungi are really good at evolving in order to match the proclivities and desires of other life forms. Right. And I mean, like, if you think of that in cybernetic terms, right, like we've got um, an extremely high variety of forms of life that are uh, either extant or possible in, 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 you know, just in, in the kingdom of life, right? And one of the big facilitators is an extremely high variety organism that, ser- that serves as a kind of decomposer and a stitcher together um, to enable all that kind of stuff. Like, 
there's some pretty incredible like uh, computation going on there that like you know fungi fungi have always facilitated all this stuff by matching the variety of the situations they're extremely adaptable as you said they they, they can evolve they can evolve to just feed off of fucking radiation you know yeah like they're very good um at control in the cybernetic sense right that sort of that regulation of different um beings uh in relationship to each other right like that is something that they excel at in so many ways the book is about relationships at a very high high theoretical level that's kind of what the book is really about it's just that fungi are this model organism for relationships and cooperation yeah that's true yeah <laughs> yeah, because like when people think about cybernetics, they think about like computers and like silicon and you know digital interaction and all that kind of stuff. But like honestly, this is kind of a better paradigm for what cybernetics is about. I mean, it, 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 computing only aspires to be anywhere fucking close to to this level of of crazy shit, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think that the main thing is that, like, you know, we build machines that behave cybernetically at, like, rates of change that probably fungus couldn't do, fungi couldn't do, um, because, like, we were, like, you know, we put a ton of energy into them. We, like, restrict their movement in very specific ways so that, like, you know, they can move really fast in, like, one orbit or in one direction. Um, and so we think about like, you know, oh, like the, the sort of, um, the like fiber optic cables that connect the world and the light moving through them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But like, if you take away the part, if you take away that like rate of behavior, that, that, that speed, and, and you just think about the relationships, like the fung fungi are much better at this stuff, um, and, and like they they can they can build those kinds of networks. Um, they do it all the time. Yeah, and I mean, I think they're they're quite slow. They're, they seem to be quite slow in operation in many ways. But then I think one of the one of the things I was most impressed in the book by was the their rate of evolution like that they can change themselves very quickly to suit a new situation. That like. Um, like I, I mentioned earlier, um, I think from later in the book, where like um, a mushroom can be, or a fungus can be trained to um, digest cigarette butts. And it's like, it, it initially doesn't really want to, but after a couple of days of just prodding at it, it'll, it'll like, it'll actually kind of change its, the enzymes it deploys. Like it'll, it'll rifle around in its like genetic bag to find a trick that it had a long time ago to deploy against this new situation. And it's like that, that speed of evolution that they can undergo is pretty scary, actually. Like they're, they're fast on their feet in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're much faster than us at sort of, um, I guess you could say like innovative change. Uh, whereas we're much like, and in some ways, like, you know, if you think about like stereotype change, right? Like, like, Oh, they can, um, they can they can propel projectiles at like several hundred kilometers an hour, right? Like they can do that, um, but like you know, generally speaking, we are like through machines, electronics, etc. We're better at sort of using stereotype patterns of change, 
but we couldn't possibly evolve as fast as they do. Um, uh, yeah, and, and certainly not without, you know, coexisting with fungi. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they've been doing it for a long time, and our, well, as, as the author says here, like, that human societies are extremely entangled with fungi, right? That's, yeah, yeah, like, it just doesn't, it just doesn't exist without them, yeah. Um, they they cause a lot of problems for us in some ways, like um, uh, crops lost to fungal blight. But then we, we rely on them for medicine and have for a long time. We would rely on them for, well, fucking everything. Like the, the fact that there is a biosphere is in large part down to down to fungus um, uh, participation. Um, you know, like penicillin comes from there. Um, like our, our like bodies rely on them in so many ways like it is yeah just thoroughly entangled as the as the title says and the 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 sort of like their, their ability to produce alcohol for us which is really i'm very grateful for and the mind-altering substances we can get from them have been entangled with human culture forever um they're they're likely candidates for having caused us to gain this kind of intelligence in the first place <laughs> Like that's that's a like a decently serious theory uh, that um, psilocybin trips are the thing that kind of kickstarts monkey brains into like getting towards language and 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 culture. Um, um, deep entanglement, which is fun. Um, let's see what we got here. Um, the the author is very much like fascinated by the transformations that these things can bring about, right? Like and. And this kind of symbiosis that it can cause. And like, he, he kind of goes over a lot of um, his experiences of like being out in the jungle, trying to get at these things and study them. Um, and, you know, just the, the, the kind of in really incredible entanglements with their environments, right? Like, because you're out in the middle of the muck in some jungle somewhere and trying to like poke and prod at the ground to discover. Um, discover where these things are hiding. Um, it's also, I, I like this book because it's just. The author is quite fun, and like I don't know, it's just it's a really good fun read. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of sort of descriptions of like field work, um, doing mycology, and just like kind of how absurd it is, like to try to come up with methods that are sensitive to the existence of fungi and can like tell us things about it. When like it's like, oh, okay, I'm gonna go into like a jungle. Like one of the you know highest variety environments in the world, and it's like full of noise, and I'm somehow gonna have to like get down on my hands and knees and dig like little trenches in the ground, and like then somehow hook the stuff I take out up to an apparatus that will maybe tell me something about how these work, but like. Eh, like maybe it'll tell me nothing. Like it's really hard to actually understand fungi. Um, yeah, because they're so alien and like both at the like scale they operate at compared to us, and also in just their their biology being so radically different from ours. Yeah. There's a wonderful point here in the introduction about how even just thinking about these organisms can really shake up our perceptions. He kind of t tells a little story of, um, I think, a friend of his who was a, uh, for a while, was a house magician at some restaurant somewhere. And this Al it's Alice's restaurant is the it's the, the restaurant that's mentioned in the Woody Guthrie song. Uh, oh, fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. 
Um, but the the customers would like see the show and have their dinner and then leave, but then kind of come back and be like, the sky looks a lot bluer than usual. Are you sure you didn't lace our fucking drinks with something? Um, but what was, what was happening was that like, um, the magic show had kind of blown their perceptions. Like had, it had shattered their expectations and surprised them in a way that shook them out of their stereotyped patterns of thought. Because generally when you look at the sky, you don't really see the sky. You, you expect it to be a certain color and you just kind of see your expectation. But if you have some sort of thing happen to you that shakes your predictive circuits, you have to start paying attention to your surroundings instead. And that's when you start really perceiving the actual sky as it is, which is bluer than your expectations are or whatever. And similarly for our author, the fungi even without consuming the psilocybin or LSD that they produce, which can really help with this as well, but even without that, just thinking about the fungi shakes up our, our preconceptions and allows us to think freshly about things. Um, yeah, and and the author like describes this sort of as, you know, being confronted with agoraphobia, like like the world being so vast when you consider it scientifically as opposed to considering it in terms of um, sort of like uh, variety attenuation um, to just like uh, engage in regular behaviors of, of, of your life, like getting up, going to work and so on. Um, uh that like it's kind of terrifying, right? It's it's that sort of like you know Lovecraftian cosmic horror, right? Um, and the the author's kind of like pleading with you as a reader to be like, well, don't give in to the agoraphobia, like expand your mind, like open your mind, right? Um, yeah. And one of the major things that like you, one of the major kind of themes here is that like considering fungi can really break down um our kind of categories right like because like this is a kind of branch of science that's really not settled at all like there's been some big discoveries being made here that like challenge even like definitions of individual and definitions of species so there's there's an anecdote about like a conference that he'd attended where uh plant biologists were kind of kind of saying like well you know we've been studying all this kind of stuff and you know we thought that a certain group of plants were characterized by certain kind of chemicals in their leaves, but it turns out that those chemicals come from bacteria inside fungi inside the leaves. <laughs> and and so like each each of these apparent individuals and this apparent species is an ecology, not like a singular thing. <laughs> Yeah, and it, like there's even I think somewhere in the book they mentioned that like vi even viruses have viruses that live inside the viruses, and I was like, what the hell? What are you talking about? Like it gets like sort of down to like the atomic level of like because viruses are so 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 small, right? Like just the idea that like viruses carry viruses within them, and that's what like that is sort of fundamental to how they operate is like very mind bending. Um, yeah. It, it, in the way that like, you know, people were just absolutely flabbergasted when they first discovered the microscope. 
um, and, and started looking at stuff and were like, what the hell is this? <laughs> yeah. And so for these scientists, like everything just dissolves the closer they look at it. Like the, even the definitions of what, what these organisms are, like just fall apart the more they study them. And it becomes more and more apparent that things are crazier and crazier than anyone could have imagined. And the, the whole, the whole, the whole like project of like, I, I guess like the Aristotelian model of science lies in flaming ruins at the end of this. <laughs> it's just, yes. Yeah. 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 Because like, yeah, the whole apparatus of categorization is like, it has a kind of logic but it, it it it's sort of like it's sort of like uh, how quantum physics like problematized physics, right? It, it it's it's like it's not to say there's no value to like the Aristotelian project of biology, but it doesn't stand up to closer scrutiny, right? That that's the problem. It's it's good for explaining to two year olds what a dog is, you know, but. Beyond that, not so much. And like the, the 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 kind of the author's take on this is that like you know here at the cutting edge of these these fields, like biology is transforming into ecology, right? The the, the study of organisms is study, is transforming into the study of relationships between organisms because even what we thought of as the defining characteristic of a certain organism turns out to be a collaborative emergent property of a collaboration between an algae, a fungus, and a virus, <laughs> somehow. Yeah, like, one of the, like, the, the, the subject of the author's, like, I guess, PhD research was uh, a type of plant that has no chlorophyll. Uh, it doesn't engage in any photosynthesis. And so it's kind of, yeah, it's sort of like, oh, wait, but isn't that, like, definitive of what a plant is? Um, and then just trying to understand, like, what is the relationship between this type of plant and fungi? Yeah. Right. And like following that thread, like, where, where does this fucking thing get energy, energy from? Well, it has to be from the fungi. And like, why the fuck are the fungi passing that shit around? You know? It, exactly. It's like, what's in it for them? Like, you know, we can, you can hypothesize, oh, it must be coming from the fungi. Why? Right, <laughs> because, because they keep it as a pet <laughs> or something. Is it is it in these couple of chapters? Um, I guess while we're touching on it, that like he kind of has a small breakthrough where he kind of like, he's he's meditating on this problem and like uh, I guess getting to the the title of the chapter, what is it like to be a fungus? Like um, he's just trying to imagine why this would be the case, and he has a sort of revelation when just imagining what it would be like to be a hyphal tip, and to be worming your way through the soil and growing and encounter encountering little dangers, and then finding the safe harbor of a root. You know, and that, that's that sense of comfort, and he's just like just thinking through it, like from the perspective of the fungus, give him like a hint as to what might be going on. That what the what the fun what the fungi get out of it is safe harbor. And in exchange they give up resources. And and uh yeah, and and this revelation comes while the author's participating in like a laboratory study where like they put him on acid to to help him try to achieve a research breakthrough. Um yeah, uh, and and so the the like 
he's kind of like, well, this is like sort of an intuition or an imagination that I have. And like, according to sort of standard scientific practice, like I shouldn't reason on the basis of my trip uh, or this vivid imaginal experience I had. But then like, maybe that's just sort of a, dirty secret of scientists everywhere that like they do rely on those intuitions in order to do scientific research. Like, I think that's something that came up a lot at STS, but like also I know that my, um, my old PhD advisor at Kyoto university used to always talk about this, that like, yeah, you can't really do science without your imagination. Um, and, and so just sort of like, uh, like, like how much faith can I put in this kind of reasoning, right? Is something that comes up for him. Um, yeah, I, th I think in this introduction, he's kind of framing the problem as like, you know, the, um, st studying relationships can be very strange and confusing. And that's largely what science is, is the, the, you look at two things and go, what the fuck's going on there? Like it's the study of relationships. And that I think later, I think he, he might, might make a point that's very similar to what your um, advisor made that like, really, we don't have a lot to go off of except for intuition and imagination to like get the pumps going, at least in the beginning. Um, and that it's, it's far from being invalid because it's, it's a, as you said, it's a, it's a kind of dark secret of the practice of science that like a lot of it is driven this way, you know? Yes. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Um, but there is, yes, I think that, that brings us to part of the introduction about this, this trip, right, where he's um, kind of breaking out of that pattern of just the very clinical, schematic kind of uh, thinking of the, the fungi and instead sort of gets, gets into their perspective. Um, and that, that helps to, to loosen things up for him. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, I think uh, that's about it for the introduction. Yeah, I mean, there's there's uh, the the book is very rhizomatic anyway, in that like a lot there, a lot of these little hyphal tips will pop up everywhere at various points. So like, there's a fair bit of repetition of the points and elaboration as it goes on. It's um yeah, the, it's a bit hard. It's hard to read linearly. The 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 chapters do have themes um, and and sort of theses, but there are a lot of digressions. Um, which I guess is just sort of characteristic of this kind of like botanical writing is, is that like, Hey, isn't this thing also cool? Uh, it, it, it's very sort of like ADHD brain, uh, writing, um, which is, uh, not a problem for me, but, um, uh, it, it, it does, it does mean that you sort of end up being like, well, this came up in this chapter, but I think it also came up later and it also came up in the, another one down the road. So yeah, we might get a little bit, a little bit, uh, disorganized in our thinking about, uh, where things pop up. But, uh, I think like, you know, generally speaking, we know what the chapters are about, what the main themes are. Yeah, it's fine. It's a dynamic network. It's, it's, it's all good. Um, uh, chapter one proper is titled Allure. Um, I, th I think I just get the pun there, right? It's a, a lure and allure, you know, in the sensual sense. Ah, that's quite good. <laughs> uh, but, but all, yeah, but the, there's also the, 
the 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 prince quote um, at the start here. Who's pimping whom? Or sorry, who's uh, who's pimping who? I I cannot I cannot stop I cannot stop using whom. <laughs> it's more correct. It's not even it's not even like it was a part of my the English I was brought up with, I just like, I was like, who, what's that? I looked it up in a grammar book and then it just stuck in my head and I could never stop using it. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, so this is really the central question is like, you know, who is the user and who is being used? And can we even figure that out? Like when, these relationships are so complicated. Yeah, so a lot of it, a lot of this chapter uh, focuses on uh, truffles and the the the, uh, the white truffles that everyone's crazy about, um, and the, the 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 relationships that these fungi form, and it, it's our kind of introduction to uh, fungal communication. Uh, first, touching on this rather like brute form of communication through uh, scent. Um, but it, it, it's it's the springboard through which we're going to get into more sophisticated forms of communication. Yeah, and sort of we we learn like first of all like what truffles are all about. Um, it says uh, truffles are spore producing organs analogous to the seed producing fruit of a plant. Spores evolve to allow fungi to disperse themselves, but underground their spores can't be caught by air currents and are invisible to the eyes of animals. Their solution is to smell. But to smell above the olfactory racket of a forest is no small task. Forests are crisscrossed with smells, each a potential fascination or distraction to an animal nose. Truffles must be pungent enough for their scent to penetrate the layers of soil and enter the air. Distinctive enough for an animal to take note amid the ambient smellscape, and delicious enough for that animal to seek it out, dig it up, and eat it. Every visual disadvantage that truffles face, being entombed in the soil, difficult to spot once unearthed, and visually unappealing once spotted, they make up for it with smell. Yeah, um, it's... And that, that's kind of our, like, throughout a lot of this chapter, um, the author will be following some truffle hunters and their dogs, um, as in, I think in Italy, as they're, they're on the hunt for these things, um, which I, I thought was a very interesting little, little, um, sub story in that it's very difficult to track these things down. Like they're, they're, they're often buried. Um, you need, you need the kind of sense of, um, uh, smelling of the, of the dog to, 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 to get to it. Um, yeah, like the it, it seems like the like pigs are better at finding the truffles, but when they find them, they're just like incapable of doing anything <laughs> other than devouring them. Like they're 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 just like driven like into like a food frenzy by the, the smell <laughs> of the truffle. So like it, it, it's like the pig is too sensitive to the truffles, so they train dogs to look for the truffles because the dogs can restrain themselves. There was something lovely here about, um, I, I don't, th- I don't think it's either, either of the two dogs that are actually with us through most of the story, but, um, there was a reference to some other dog that like, basically they, they kind of have these different strategies for like 
the dogs that like um some dogs will be trained or i don't know predisposed to seek out specific kinds of truffle um so they're they're very much like going after a couple of ones but there's other dogs that are more exploratory and more kind of um willing to follow any interesting scent which can sometimes lead you to really weird truffles um It'll sometimes, like, it'll lead you to a dead skunk sometimes, but other times it'll get you a mushroom you've never seen before. <laughs> yeah, so it's like the difference between, let's see, I can find this. It's, there, it, there are, because um, the terminology is quite good. It is, oh yes. So the dogs that uh, look for many different types of um smells and and, and, and and are used to find new types of truffles because there are many, many different types of truffles and a lot of them we don't even know about because like truffles are just buried in the ground and they're not obvious to us. And so you, you do you do need to like look for them actively in order to find them. Um, these are called variety dogs. Um, and then the dogs that look for specific truffles, like black or white truffles, uh, are called production dogs. So it's like you've got like your like neurodivergent ADHD dog over there to do your exploratory research. And then you've got your neurotypical production dog to go get the regular, you know, uh, high-value black and white truffles that sell for thousands of euros, right? Yeah, right. I, I, I found it as an interesting um, instance of like strategic wagers, like was mentioned in either vertical nor horizontal. You know that like um, these these are two very different ways of going about things. Neither of them is wrong or right, but in context, you might be better off betting on one or the other. And it's it's good to have a repertoire that includes both. You want some kind of exploratory function, and uh, you want a, you want an explore function and an exploit function, um, and doubling down on one to the exclusion of the other is going to be a bad move. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and I mean, I feel like that that really helps to um, maybe explain some of the evolutionary reasons why you know uh, neurodivergent people continue to exist yeah absolutely there's a diversity of strategies there mm -hmm. i've thought a lot about this as um as a neurodivergent person and like uh th there was there was a kind of i'm not sure where i got this it might, it might have been an article or book somewhere but like it was kind of kind of framing it as like you know the, the problem of being of having adhd or whatever is large it's, it's kind of like the problem of living as a hunter in a farmer's world that like your your brain is sort of tuned for a very different set of activities that are maybe not as applicable now, but like it had an evolutionary advantage at some point. Like you kind of, I don't know, you, you want, I don't know, as, as a species, like if, if a species can be said to want anything, you probably want individuals, a mix of individuals who are both early birds and night owls because you want somebody to watch camp at all times, <laughs> you know, basic shit like that. Um, there's a real advantage to, frankly, scattered forms of thought because like the scattergun approach can cover more ground and can come up with novel solutions but you kind of also do want the kind of more straight st straight arrow kind of folks as well and, and and as somebody who has like dyspraxia and my my father's adhd also has dyspraxia 
I've always been like, well, but like, how does that make any sense in the hunter analogy? Like that would just make me a terrible hunter because like, you know, there'd be a, like, I'd be sitting there looking for a, uh, deer and, you know, when the moment to strike came, I would just be fumbling all over my bow and arrow <laughs> or my spear. And, like, I couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. Like, how would I be a good a good hunter? And so this kind of, like, diversity dog versus production dog metaphor also makes sense to me. Because it's like, yeah, like, the diversity dog doesn't actually have to be very good at hunting. Like, the diversity dog just has to look for diversity. Right. And that that has value in itself, even though they're not good at producing. Um, whereas the, the hunter versus farmer in some way, like, you know, both of the, they, you know, it both involves some degree of diversity, some degree of production. But it tends to be sort of oriented towards a production metaphor. Um, and this just kind of makes a little bit of sense to me as like, uh, well, maybe that's kind of how this made sense at some point. Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, uh, one of the kind of pivots here then is from like, um, smell is a chemical signal that the uh, fungi emit. But so the, the, uh, the fungi emit a chemical signal as smell, but then like the fungi occupy a very like chemical rich world in the soil and there's chemical signals going all kinds of ways and they're sensitive to chemical signals and this is this is a part of their their whole sensory apparatus right because you sort of on first inspection you might assume like oh okay the truffles are just like they're just being their stinky selves like all the time right like they they're like insensitive to their environment they just put out maximum smell until something comes along and eats them up and then they shit out the spores and then you get more truffles, right? Um, or you get more fungus of that type. Uh, but actually, no, the truffles are sensitive to their environment, um, which is where it gets really weird. Yeah, this this chemical cacophony that they're kind of immersed in all the time. Um, it, it's really weird to think of the sensory experience of fungi. I just it 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 like and also there's weird shit in here like they're sensitive to light which I didn't really appreciate before and they can see color I didn't know they could see that's insane yeah like unlike plants they have the same sorts of chemicals that humans use in their eyes to perceive color which is just like what the hell. <laughs> there's also some lovely stuff here about like the kind of various like the, these kind of entangled collaborations where like um orchid bees will like uh go around rubbing themselves on fungi to like get get scents onto them so that they can go court court their partners like in a very like look how look how rich i smell you know and it's like yeah this was so weird like these bees they they essentially okay so like you know they're like birds of paradise right like the there's like a specific type of bird of paradise I don't remember which one it is but like the males spend their entire lives doing nothing but perfecting like well not nothing but most of their energy goes towards perfecting their dance perfecting their display uh, until they can mate. But, like, the females are so selective about mating that, like, 
you can just practice for years and years and years and years and still get turned down again and again and again, right? But these bees are sort of similar to that in the sense that, like, they essentially go around, like, handcrafting, like, their own artisanal perfume in order to attract a mate. And, and, and much like humans they use fungus as a source of scent, um, which we also do in making perfume, right? That's a big theme here, right, is sensuality. Uh, in, like, also, like, I mean, in, in the kind of obvious ways that, like, we, we appropriate fungi to uh, make ourselves smell good uh, to get laid or whatever, but, like, fungi do it too, and bees and fucking plants use them, and all these chemical signals are bouncing fucking everywhere, and it's a very sensuous kind of environment to live in. Yes, exactly. Like, which makes sense in sort of writing a book about fungi, because, like, fungi have all of these hyphae. And, like, they're all kind of receptors. Like, they're, like, it, it's sort of like, you know, you know, in the human body, we have, like, our whole epidermis. We have, like, all of our skin. We have our nose. You know, we have all our sense organs. Like, we're sort of covered in the sensory receptors. But, like, what if you imagine that, like, you had no body plan at all and you were just a amorphous constantly moving and changing set of sensory receptors that that could move in any direction and it's 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 like you're sort of it's almost like there there's sort of like no there's no um like shielding of the, your your sensuousness it's just all sensitive it's like all nerves everywhere you know yeah, like what if what if you were a nervous system that just crawled through the soil? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. It's it, it's a nice continuation of um I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on the show but like there's a really interesting bit in one of Ashby's books um uh, where he kind of compares um the kind of defensive strategies of a turtle to that of a like a human fencer, like a sword a swordsman. Um that the the turtle defends itself in a rather brute kind of way of just like repelling physical attacks. Um but for the fencer, the brain is the defensive organ, and it's it, the fact that it's so much more sensitive is where it gets that repertoire of um, moves and like sensitivities that allow it to survive. And like you know, as anyone could 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 guess, a human swordsman will outmaneuver a turtle pretty easily. Um, <laughs> and so, what Ashley was pointing out is that the brain, in its like exposed sensitivity. Is it's almost like the it's almost like the brain is wrapped around the body in much the way that turtle's shell is. That like that's our way of interfacing with the world. We often think of the brain as being, well, I mean, in a very physical sense, it is encased inside the body. But really, the body is encased in the brain in an information like system sense. Yeah, in, in the way we were talking about like um, the brain of the firm, right? Like. In the sense that you sort of have a, like, extension of thought and sensory awareness that goes beyond your epidermis, right? 
uh, you're kind of encased in brain and awareness and all of that. Yeah. And it's, it's that awareness and that sensitivity that is the advantage over the shell. And the fungi take that way out to the limit. Like, what if, what if you were just all senses all the time? Uh, what if you didn't have a body? <laughs> what if there was no body plan? What if you were, what if you were just without organs entirely? Um, yeah, like it's it's literally the body without organs, right? Mm-hmm. Right, a, a, a thoroughly disorganized body that is still it is a living thing that decides and acts and has purposive action, but just has so little familiarity. Um, so yeah. It, it, it kind of it, it does it does point in a tantalizing direction that I, I think I mean obviously we're big fans of Stafford Beer and his work on viable systems and you know using the human body as a kind of uh, analogy and an intuition pump to get the get the juices flowing um, but like if you t- if you just keep kept taking that further out into the kind of vortex of weirdness that is fungal life. There's probably even more to learn out there. You, you would get, you get in, 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 the, in the direction that Ashby is pointing, from shell to brain, there's, there's another vector there that points from brain to uh, mycelium. Yeah, because the thing is that, like, I think, I think in the way that, like, the VSM, the viable system model, is, like, focused on functions and, what do you, what is it, physiology over anatomy, it is, it is pointing in that direction. But I think the thing that maybe distinguishes what is being discussed here to from uh, the BSM is that it's not really clear that mycelia have very much of a sense of identity. Uh, whereas in the BSM, like you have System Five, like there is that sort of like self closure um, of identity that exists. And and it's kind of like maybe my like maybe fungi don't really have that in the way that we think about it, even though they do clearly sort of like, you know, make distinctions between like self and environment in some ways. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, um, I think it might have been in the previous chapter or this one uh, or even the next one, but like, um, again, it's, it's spread everywhere, but like fungi do seem to have some sense of like conti- continuity of identity, but then they, they readily fuse with all kinds of other things. And what looks like a single mycelial network might actually be made up of many arguable individuals or like you can have a couple of different genomes in every cell anyway. So it's, it's all very fucking strange. Um, yeah, and I, I think that's probably the sort of direction of problematization that I would I would expect would be like the most fruitful in re reexamining Beer's work because the rest of it is sort of like okay, like yeah, it, it's kind of um, by 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 not focusing on the anatomy, Beer is already sort of moving beyond just um, like the image of the human body as a blueprint for thinking about the world and organizations, right? This is this is how we break out of the Kantian cage of, of fucking percept- perceptions, right? <laughs> like, we just move entirely beyond human perception to the fungal fucking tangle, right? Reject maternity, return to fungus. Yeah. <laughs> it's, very, it's very, like, bloodborne, right? Just like, oh, totally. Like I've become like a weird fungal soup. This is this is evolution. This is what peak performance looks like. Just like, uh, 
They did, they did have some fungal stuff in Bloodborne, didn't they? Or am I imagining that? Uh, yes, yes. Well, sort of. Like, the, um, the Celestials. Yes, yes, exactly. There's, like, the Celestials, and then sort of, like, those, like, those enemies that do, like, frenzy on you with, like, all the eyes that are sort of, like, in, infesting them. That's, it kind of reminds me of fungus in a way. Yeah. The Winter Lanterns. Winter Lanterns, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um... Oh, and there was there was the one there was the one boss that was like the kind of weird tentacle god that was below the chapel and it had a very like weird fungal kind of head or whatever. Yes, and then there's also the um uh what is it uh uh like Bowden, like the invisible blood god. Mm. Oh, for- formless Odin. Yeah, uh, yeah, formless Odin. Yeah, which kind of reminds me of fungus in a way too. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, it's like, oh, you know, like the, there's the one character who like suddenly gives birth, like, oh, Jesus, like has like an immaculate conception. And that, that could, that kind of reminds me of sort of like the weird chemical nature of fungi. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, what a, what a wonderful game. Maybe Jesus was, maybe Jesus was a fungi baby. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the good stuff. There we go. Yeah. Um. Like, I think moving on a little bit, there's um, there's some stuff about, like, the kind of, um, I guess, the nature of the fungal hyphae and, like, the way they form a network. Like, there's there's two operations. There's branching and then fusing. Um, and they, they do both with impunity. <laughs> they just branch all the time and fuse all the time. Um, and they have, like, a, they have some sort of homing instinct and they can, dis- they can distinguish them. They can distinguish themselves. Like, even prior parts of the network, they know it belongs to the same organism um and but the weird thing about them which is like such it's so mind-bending is that like they've sort of always already solved the trolley problem because it's like to a fungus or sorry to a mycelium the 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 question of root a or root b is never a or b it's always a and b they can do this, the split, right? Like, and they can do the, um, it's, it's the dual fucking slit experiment from quantum mechanics, but like, it's, it's, it's at a fungal level. Like, if they encounter an obstacle, they just go both sides of it and work around. Yes. Yeah. It's like multi-track drifting all the time. You know, it, it's just, it's just like, like, you, you know, just sort of thinking about your everyday lived experience. Like, you know, do I go to the left of the tree or the right of the tree to get to where I'm going? And then, you know, the answer, like, you would never even really have to think that if you were a fung uh, or like a mycelium, right? Like, it would just be like, well, it'd be sort of like probabilistic, right? Like, I would go like, you know, 60% this way and 40% that way. Yeah, right. You just kind of act like a wave more so than a particle for the moment. Yeah, because it, it's not that the the fungi don't um, navigate; they do. Like they 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 what they can move. Like the mycelium can like move its entire self, like from one place to another. Like they can cross rivers and shit. Like it like by going over bridges and like all that kind of stuff. But 
Um, and, and like they, they also like do these experiments where they show that like they're very good at determining like uh, like optimal routes. Like that's sort of like what is it like the the bridges of Königsberg problem, right? Like the, the 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 courier problem of like how what is the optimal route from A to B? Like they're really good at figuring that out, but they don't do it by way of like those. Um, those like robots that they make that uh, the, the competition robots, they make the the mice, the maze mice, you know, like where it's like a little robot on wheels and the, the, the objective of the race is to uh, solve the maze as fast as possible uh, with the mouse. Um, like they don't do a sort of search algorithm physically moving through the thing as like a coherent individual they do it as the mycelium uh which is just sort of like sensing in all these directions at once and moving in all these directions at once to varying degrees i mean that's that's the big watchword for this whole chapter is sensing right like it's it's about sensing and sensuality and like the the, the, the sensing, like the, the Heifel tips are extremely sensitive and somehow the network integrates all that information. Um, and like, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of, it touches on things like, um, yeah, their, their kind of navigation and like, um, their, uh, fusion. So like, like that, we, we covered some of the, the, the splitting, but like the fusing, especially for the purpose of sex and like they have absolutely incredible weird shit going on here. Like there are, uh, varieties of fungus that have like thousands of sexes um yeah like tens of thousands and, and they're like almost all mutually compatible with one another right but they need to be able to sense they, they sense and distinguish why 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 would that exist why would you have why it's 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 like it's like the the thing about like you know, the XKCD comic about inventing a new standard, but like they're all actually compatible with each other. Like, why would you have so much variety for mating? What is the point? It's, it's, it's mind blowing. It's very strange. And like the, um, I don't know. And then like the, this, if you think of like, even, even in the simpler cases of where there's only like tens of, of sexes or whatever, and maybe like only half of them are mutually compatible, like there's a certain grid or whatever that you'd have of compatibility. Like that's a lot of variety to compute for, at the Heifel tip to determine if the thing in front of you is compatible or not. And like, just, just that, that, again, that's just a lot of computation going on in what initially doesn't seem like much, you know? Yes, yeah, and, and and in the case of I think it was truffles, right? Like the 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 hyphal tips are not classified as male or female; they're classified as plus and minus because they are like potentially male or female, and like we don't understand how they would decide like which one to be. Like, what is the like, how do you, like, assume a sex for the purpose of intercourse? Like, what is the priority? How do you figure it out between the tips? Like, we don't know. Yeah. There's got to be some sort of weird negotiation going on. And, like... Yes. 
it's just like you're you're starting in this like place of potentiality where there's no real priority of one or the other, right? Again, like the, the, sh- the sheer variety that these things deal with and deal with very cleanly, like they're very successful at doing this. And with, with so, like what seems to us is so little equipment to do it with, you know, like it, it is just very mind blowing that you can get so much out of so little. And that like, I don't know, it, it very much seems throughout all this book that like the, these things have minds of some kind, right? Like, I mean, they, they may not be brains in the exactly analogous sense to ours, but like there's, there's a lot of shit going on here. I think the term that keeps coming up in the book is brainless thinking. Yeah. It's definitely thought, right? Like, it's unambiguously thought that is happening. But, like, fucked if I know, like, how it's going on. I mean, like, the, the, the folks in the book don't exactly know either. Like, it's an active field of study. But, like, it's, it's unmistakably thought. Yes, yeah. In the, in the sense that, like, we connect thought to decision. Like, if, if, we, if we connect thought to decision-making, right, it's definitely happening. And... Like, that seems to be a useful way to think about, like, brainless thinking so that we don't have to rely on, like, oh, well, thought is the thing humans do with their brains. So, therefore, if the thing doesn't look like a human doing the thing with their brain, then that means it's not thought. Like, that kind of, like, um, sort of foreclosed thinking (laughs) uh, can be avoided, right? Yeah, and it can help us to understand, like, kind of, how do, how do you think about thought at the group level among humans, like, and the way that groups and, and social systems process information? Because, like, if, if we kind of, just for the sake of, of argument right now, we kind of maybe say that thought is a combination of, like, integration and decision. Like, that's that's a thing that clearly happens in fungal networks and clearly happens in, in human groups. So... That's, that's thought, baby, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's right there. I think one of the last kind of important points in this chapter is, like, the way that, like, these um, fungi through the hyphal tips also, like, actively hunt prey at these nematode worms. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is some seriously horrifying shit. It's weird. And they deploy a variety of strategies to do it. Like, some will pursue and, like, spear the fuckers, and some will form nets in which to catch them. Yeah, or, like, basic, kind of, like, lassoes or, like, whips, like, sort of, like... Yeah! Like, entangle around them. Uh, and then and then there's other ones who are really uh, fun. They just, like, get into their mouths and, like, eat them <laughs> from the inside out. God, I hate this shit. It's so awful. Oh no! Oh, it's like it's like any any time you look at like you know um, sort of like insect life or a- anything like very small. Like there's always just stuff that comes up. It's just like oh my god, it's so disgusting and disturbing. And it's like like how how do creationists like justify this shit? Like. Oh, yeah, 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 like the, you know, the perfect God is all knowing, super good, blah, 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 like created fungus that eat worms from the inside out in like the most horrific way possible. <laughs> like, yeah, like that was like that was planned. somehow. Th- there's there's like only two options. It's like either God is like a sick fucker, uh, like they say in uh, what is it? Uh, disenchantment uh, or, or, <laughs> or <laughs> it's not planned. 
hand. <laughs> yeah, I, this could only be emergent, right? Like, yeah. the, sheer, the sheer chaos and violence of all this could only be an emergent effect of a process. Yeah, once again, returning to the Werner Herzog, uh, <laughs> the Werner Herzog lines. Oh, God. I love that. Um, I'm not cutting it in again, but it was really fucking good. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, let's do chapter two, Living Labyrinths. Um, which is, is much less of the sensual stuff and more of the, like, network nature of these things, um, which I guess we've, we've covered some of so far. Um, there's some fucking weird shit here, like, um, experiments that, like, uh, like, y y you get a block of wood and you seed it with some, some fungus and you, c you can just watch as it grows outwards in a radial pattern, um, exploring everything around it. But then you put down another block of wood nearby. And as soon as one of these hyphal tips touches the other block of wood, it immediately retracts all other um, paths of exploration and then just dives headlong at the block of wood it's discovered. So it's it's definitely integrating information across the entire network and like its sensory information travels through the whole network. It then decides, fuck this exploration shit, I'm going after that food source, and then redeploys its resources to move in that direction. And the really weird thing is that if you, if you do that process and then you sever the connection, um, and then like redeploy the fungus, it begins exploring in the direction of the wood that was there before. Yes. Which it, it remembers which direction relative to itself it was supposed to be going in. And it, it, it even if you spin it around or whatever, it, like if you spin it around, it'll confuse it or whatever, but it'll, it'll go in the direction relative to like, if if it found that the block of wood was north of it, it will explore northwards once it once it has been pruned back. It has memory. Yes, which is wild, right? And like, there's other discussions in here about like how some type of fungi, like when they're making mushrooms, like they have a sense of gravity. Um, we talked already about how they can sense color, light, uh, obviously various types of chemical smells, right? How do they sense fucking gravity? I mean, it, just, just, just how? Like, so much of this just prompts a how response. Like, when we think about our sense of, like, gravity and, like, balance, we're like, oh, yeah, that's, like, a function of, like, our inner ear and, like, some, you know, uh, uh, motor systems in our brain, right? But then it's like, oh, yeah, this thing that has no organs at all can also do that. It's so weird, right? Like, it's so... It, it... It's like, What? <laughs> The, the big difference is that, like, they they have they seem to have these same functions, but they don't have the specialized organs so much to do them. Like, yeah, like incredibly intricate organ constructions, according to plans, right? Like, like the the construction of your inner ear, it's so intricate, right? And you think about that as, like, the prototype for how balance works and, like, a sense of orientation, et cetera, et cetera. And then it's like, oh, yeah, but the other way you could do that is to have a mycelium, which has, like, it doesn't look anything remotely like that as a strategy. And this is kind of why these things confounded us for so long, because, like, if you go looking for a hippocampus or go looking for an amygdala, you're just not going to find one. But they have, they have, they actually do all the shit that like we use hippocampi and amygdala for, you know. Um, 
they, they recognize things. They, they have like sensory responses and they learn and, and, and can be trained. And like, but where the fuck is it? Like it's, it's, you can't pin it down because it's distributed through the whole network. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which, I mean, is probably a lesson we could really kind of learn from. Like again, going off of the, the political stuff we've been reading more recently, like that, um, the thing that Nunes was advocating for, like a, a, a dynamic network of like various like skills and capacities being spread out throughout the whole ecology of the movement and not being centralized in particular institutions. And it's like, yeah, like your ability to hold a fucking meeting should not be pinned down to particular individuals or to particular institutions. It should be a capacity that's everywhere. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, there's a bit here again about like um, slime moles being able to solve mazes, which I think we, we touched on. But like one of the weird things is that like they'll also in certain circumstances, like if you... There's an experiment here where they um, they kind of make a little island that's a kind of replica of Great Britain, and they put put little drops of food where cities are, and then let the fungus go nuts, and it replicates pretty pretty closely the the road network and the train network. Yeah, this is a this is a bit of a weird one because slime mold is actually a misnomer, like or it, it, it's it's misleading in the sense that. Uh, slime mold is not a fungus it's an amoeba but they've done other experiments trying to do the same thing with like a map of tokyo and the, the fungus was also able to do it it's just that yeah it's like technically it's not a fungus but the behavior pattern is the same in both it's just a bit confusing that that's the slime mold is included as an example in the book. It's just because there's been lots of experiments done on slime mold because it's really easy to easy to work with. Yeah, it, it's a model organism for students um, because it's it's so easy to handle. Um, but this is more fuel for my crank theory that like you know human social systems are much more fungal than they are animal because you see the same the same kind of things just happen at both scales. Yeah, what is it? Like, they got, like, like they did a map of Europe and they got, like, the Roman road network, like, from the Roman Empire, more or less. <laughs> so the, the Roman Empire was a fungus. It was a metafungus. Yeah. <laughs> well, but the thing that the thing that they bring up in this in this in this uh, chapter that I think is really interesting is that they say, um, uh, mycelial fungi are maze dwellers, and solving spatial and geometrical problems is what they have evolved to do. How best to distribute their bodies is a question fungi face on a moment-to-moment -moment basis. By growing a dense network, mycelium can increase its capacity for transport, but dense networks aren't good for exploring across large distances. Sparse networks are better for foraging across large areas, but have fewer answer connections, or so and so are more vulnerable to damage. How do fungi juggle this kind of trade-off while exploring a crowded rotscape in search of food? So it's like, yeah, if you think about it, like soil and, and like just sort of the earth is already an incredibly geometrically complex maze. And so the fact that we can put these life forms in, in uh, like the kind of stereotype simplified mazes that we use to think through things like hedge mazes, that kind of thing, and they can solve them should really not be that surprising because they do way more complex maze, maze solving like constantly. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I think that's the really interesting bit here is that like the 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 situation of the fungi really inform their capabilities, right? That like, um, you know, the, the mycelium is how they feed, right? But like, and so they, they have to like pursue and digest uh, food and resources in situ. They, they have they have a capacity to move, but like in contrast with mammals, like. Mammals, like, if, if they're either, like, if they either need to pursue food or avoid danger, they can just walk, like, they can go places very quickly, which uh, the fungi being located in the tangled um, environment of the soil, they're, they're more constrained, like, they're, they're more, like, stuck in place, relatively. They're more like the turtle, right? Um, and I think that's another way in which, like... Like uh, human societies are more closely resemble fungi because, like, you know, um, I don't know, a badger if it's threatened by something can just it can just walk away, right? Or it can hide or run or whatever the fuck. Um, but I don't know, like, if if Britain as a society runs into trouble, it can't just relocate to Japan. Yes, you know, it's it's more stuck in place. <laughs> you have nomadic societies that have existed and continue to exist. But, you know, they're sort of restricted in how much they can move around in a sort of similar way to mycelium, where it's like, yeah, the mycelium can just like, you know, move from the one block of wood to the other block of wood, but it can't do it at a leap, you know? Yeah. And especially because of their tangled relationships, right? Like that, if they're embedded in this web of life um, with all these other fucking crazy plants and bacteria and other fungi... Um, the, the, yeah, they're, they're, they're not going to just be able to do what the sparrows do and they just fuck off somewhere, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, it's usually the other birds that fuck off when the sparrows show up, for my observations. Well, because they're so, they're, they're so aggressive. Sparrows are, sparrows are like, you know, they exist. They're very social. They're very aggressive. And so you get birds like nuthatches or chickadees or whatever that they're, they're like they see the sparrows coming and they're like, uh, okay, I'm gonna grab something quick and then run away, because uh, like you know it, these birds are social but they're not that social because like the the sparrows like I have sparrows on my balcony and like feed them and stuff like I don't intentionally feed the sparrows it's just the sparrows monopolize the resource because they're so incredibly aggressive and they come in such numbers. Like they, they're, they're constantly fighting each other as well as anything else that shows up in their, in their environment. <laughs> yeah. I don't know anything about birds. So I was, I was just trying to think of a migratory bird, but whatever. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 No, no, no. Uh, like, yeah. Like, um, uh, like robins, right. Robins will just migrate, right. They'll get out of there. Yeah. If it sucks, hit the bricks, right? Mm -hmm. Totally um. right. <laughs> but like, the fungi have to have to like solve their problems in situ, largely, um, with with some some level of dynamism. But like, um, yeah, I don't know. There's there's just a really interesting contrast there. Um, yeah, there's there's emphasis here on like thinking of these networks as processes rather than things, um, which. Again, it's one of these mind-bending kind of concepts that. Yeah, like I've been I've been using process philosophy in my research for university, and like I've been writing a theory paper recently. I've been trying to sort of like explain the advantages of process philosophy, 
but like it's kind of hard to describe but there's a really good description of it in here in, in the sense of like well how does thinking about processes help and I, I just like sent this to my advisor because I was like oh yeah like this kind of nails it so it says um uh, yes uh, so uh, the biologist Robin Wall Kimmerer, a member of the citizen uh, Potawatomi nation, uh, observes that the indigenous Potawatomi language is rich in verb forms that attribute aliveness to the more than human world. The word for hill, for example, is a verb, to be a hill. Hills are always in the process of healing. They are actively being hills, equipped with this grammar of animacy it is possible to talk about the life of other organisms without either reducing them to an it or borrowing concepts traditionally reserved for humans. By contrast, in English, writes Kimmerer, there is no way to recognize the simple existence of another living being. If you're not a human subject, by default, you're an inanimate object, an it, a mere thing. If you repurpose a human concept to help make sense of the life of a non-human organism, you've tumbled into the trap of anthropomorphism. Use it and you've objectified the organism and fallen into a different kind of trap. So essentially like saying that, okay, it, you know, um, if we talk about something like a mycelium, we kind of need to think with a vocabulary and, and, and a mode of thinking that is neither inan about inanimate things that are just like, you know, inert and formed of substances or about anthropomorphized active stuff, right? Like, 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 you know, animals, like, or whatever, like what if there was a different vocabulary and, you know, process philosophy aims to provide that vocabulary. But I think this idea of sort of like brainless thinking is also a way into that kind of conceptualization because it is it is it is like sort of it's not oxymoronic. But at first look it at first sight, it seems that way. Because we associate, by default, thinking with the human type of thinking derived from brains. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a really nice quote, I think, here as well, that, like, um, it's quoting from the book. Um, you can think of your life like this. The growing tip is the present moment, your lived experience of now, which gnaws into the future as it advances. The history of your life is the rest of the Haifa, the blue lines that you've left in a tangled trail behind you. A mycelial network is a map of a fungus's recent history, and is a helpful reminder that all life forms are in fact processes, not things. The you of five years ago was made of different stuff than the you of today. Nature is an event that never stops. As William Bateson, who coined the term genetics, observed, we commonly think of animals and plants as matter, but they are really systems through which matter is continually passing. When we see an organism from a fungus to a pine tree, we catch a single moment in its continual development. Um, yeah, and like it's it's more obvious when you see the mycelium, right? Like the um, you see that the hyphal tips and the trail they leave behind, it becomes more apparent that that's the case. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly, exactly. Um, and like you know, you can think about that in terms of sort of like our 
external memory systems, right? They are kind of like the trail left by the hyphae, right? That, that, that like, you know, we have like massive databases, we have libraries, we have photo collections, we have all kinds of things we use as external memory. And we kind of like, amass them to the extent that we try to remember and we try to like it, you know, it's a, it's a sort of a, a, a very obvious visual trail of our passage through time and transformation as, as we go on living. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a lovely bit here then about uh, polyphony um, and the kind of uh, analogizing with music, right? That like the, the multiple hyphal tips are like the uh, multiple lines in a polyphonic composition, which I thought was, thought was quite lovely. Yeah, so like the voices, there's a specific kind of song that is mentioned here. It is, um, what is it now? Uh, uh, Women Gathering Mushrooms. Um, as a, what culture does that come from? The Aka people? Yes, so there, there is this... Um, polyphonic music that comes from the Aka people uh, called like women gathering mushrooms. And the thing that is important about it is that it's polyphonic, but it also never harmonizes. So it, it, it's not like a barbershop quartet, right? Where it's like, Oh, we go apart, we come together, we go apart, we come together. No, it's just polyphony. Right. Um, and it's kind of about, how each person in the wild, in the world, is encountering different sorts of beings. And the polyphony is like representative of like their own interact, like their own distinct interactive experiences in the world, right? Um, and, you know, the author sort of saying like, well, polyphony is really tough like it's obviously it's difficult, right? Like um, to perform and compose is difficult, but also it's difficult to sort of experience holistically as a listener. Like you, you kind of tend to focus in on one line of the polyphony, one of the voices and sort of hear the other ones in the background. But then sometimes you can kind of like, get into like sort of a soft focus mode of listening where the polyphony is existing in a kind of indeterminate state with no one voice being the root or the core of your experience of the music. Um, and sort of that like brainless thinking, I guess is supposed to be like an analogous experience to that kind of fuzzy experience of polyphony um in music because i guess that the fungus must experience it, it must experience everything polyphonically right that like it it is integrating it, it seems to effortlessly integrate all those signals from all of its hyphal tips um it, it, it it's probably pretty good at that soft focus um mode of experiencing Yes, yes, yeah, exactly. Because like, because it can go in more than one direction at once, like there's no reason to assume it has to be like A and then B or do a quick switching between A and B. 
it could just be A and B at the same time, right? It could just be polyphonic. It could just be multiple all at once. Um, Which is pretty fabulous. Um, I think a lot of the back part of this chapter then is kind of um, talking over like communication within the network and some of these like theories and like the investigations into what could possibly be going on to move information so quickly. Um, it, it hydraulics are a possible thing that like um, I think it can be demonstrated that there's there's like um, hydraulic pressure within the network um, could be some communication goes goes by that way um, because the because the hyphae like are tubes filled with fluid um, like it, it, it there is sort of like a way in which they like move and extend they they essentially like extend and stretch themselves out. Uh, using hydraulics within themselves. Uh, and they have, like, sort of internal, um, like, structures or modes that can be used for different hydraulic purposes. But probably the hydraulics is not, like, sufficiently rapid to explain their behavior as, like, a thinking thing, right? Yeah. There is some investigation into electrical conduction within the network, um, which seems to be another plausible thing that could be going on. They can move chemical signals around faster than just like um, passive diffusion. There's like uh, what they call like little motors that will like actively shuttle uh, chemicals back and forth, and that's how they move resources around um, within the network. Yes. Yeah. And so it's like you can think about them like thinking electrically in the similar way to our synapses. But the thing is, our synapses are made of cells and they're not. So it's it's electrical, but it's not like the kind of electrical that we do in our brains. It's very strange. Um, and this is. This is kind of where it gets into the discussion of like it being a brain-like phenomenon. Um, there's a there's a kind of um, there's some hedging going on here, and it's kind of like, well, there's there's been some investigation into this, some investigations ongoing. There's some evidence for there's some like non-replicable stuff, um, but uh, a lot of this stuff is on the table. Um, yeah, like well, because uh, they we like we 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 just don't know. Like we don't know. It's it's a mystery. Uh, we have hypotheses, we have done experiments, but how does it work? Like, we don't, we don't really know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very strange. Um, uh, but again, like it's, it's so evident just from their behavior that there is, there's comprehension, there's, there's cognition going on. Um, yeah. And this actually, sorry, this is this is kind of a tangent in the way that this book has lots of tangents. But you were talking about how sparrows fly away, right? And actually, I was thinking about house sparrows. And the thing about house sparrows is that they're not sparrows. <laughs> okay, first way. In the same way that slide mold is not a mold, it's not a fungus. House sparrows are not sparrows; they're finches. So if you're if you're talking about real sparrows. They do fly away. They are kind of scared. They're not as social. Uh, <laughs> well, like the, the categories just all break down, right? You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, there's some comparisons here to like. Um, I, I mean, the, the author is being a little bit cagey with some of this, like, is it a brain, is it not, sort of stuff. But then there's comparisons to other 
like clearly dynamic intelligent systems that are not human brains like um ant colonies you know like the they're clearly an intelligent sort of system in total but like oh yeah like i i just saw the other day like we had here in the netherlands we had, i think we had like maybe two three weeks of drought and then we had like a torrential downpour and there are a ton of ants around this building i'm staying in right now and when the rain hit, like their like emergency response effort was like unreal. Like just all of these ants like surging out of the ground, like carrying eggs, like, you know, basically like, all right, like you're going to become a flying ant. You're going to propagate over here. We're going to like investigate all these different like uh possible places for alternative nests because we didn't realize that actually this place is really flood prone and we made a big mistake and now we're getting flooded out so we're gonna try to like you know engage in this whole like emergency evacuation response plan uh, and so like i think that the 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 analogy that like the authors uh referred to is like the swarm right like swarms like uh, uh mycelia are like swarms yeah it's it's a swarm intelligence and like just a, any any kind of dynamic net, net network will do this like the our brains are dynamic networks uh ants are, and colonies are dynamic networks uh mycelium is a dynamic network and it's just like yeah you, you can just generalize across these things they all exhibit very similar behaviors um or similar capacities um so yeah cool it's it's brain like you know it's it's I don't I don't think we need to be too cagey about it. <laughs> it, it it's it, it's at the very least it is brain like in the brain of the firm sense of brain right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's see what else we got here. Um, I think that's a lot of it. Um, yeah, I think so. I, I think that, I think the end the end matter is just like hey, this is a mystery. Let's think about it some more. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which which is pretty good. <laughs> um, so we, we got th- we got through two chapters out of eight, which is good. Um, so it's going to take us a while to get through the rest of this. But I think uh, I think I'll, I think the, the the latter chapters will go a bit faster because um, we've we've covered a lot of the stuff that repeats through the book. Yes, yes, um, exactly. Uh, I feel like I need to do like a um, Blade Runner twenty forty eight. Uh, cells upon the cells interlinked, but with with <laughs> with, 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 with fungi with fungi. Yeah. <laughs> At this point, <laughs> have you ever seen the full the full um text, the full reading of the of that? Yeah, I think I think we brought it up when we did the episodes on that movie, right? Yeah, I th- I I also put this kind of sections of it at the start of the episodes. Um, it's it's that's quite a wonderful. Um, that's quite a wonderful little piece of, I guess, poetry. You know, it's it's a strange. Yeah, it's it's definitely poetry. Yeah, it's it's a really strange work. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it touches on a lot of this kind of these kind of themes also. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know. Um, thanks, listeners, for coming along with this on this strange journey. Um, we'll be back next time, continuing along with a couple more chapters. I'd imagine we'll get the rest done in probably another two sittings. Um, yeah. Uh... Reject modernity, return to fungus. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Like, do we? It's been a while since we did one of these actual proper re- readout things. Um, um, 
I've taken taken up the habit of um, of just cutting things off and tacking something on the end, but we, we can we can do it live this time. Um, yeah, it's it's been a kind of it's been an interesting run of episodes recently. I think we're we're on a really strong streak. Um, I guess we'll we'll probably we'll try to get more of this stuff out. I think we'll probably take our customary summer break um, soon ish. Um, because it's it's currently late June. It's probably going to be a matter of necessity for you. Um, so yeah, I got a lot of busy, busy, crazy stuff coming up, um, for the next couple of months, but I mean, the book is read also, so maybe we just need to schedule recording time. Um, yeah, we'll see how it goes, but, uh, maybe the editing will need to wait. Um, in any case, in the meantime, in, in July, uh, y'all can go and dig up some mushrooms and have a look. Uh, <laughs> or take some mushrooms. <laughs> I'm I'm getting more interested in mushrooms. Like I I, I used to joke that um, like I I generally I don't like eating mushrooms and haven't so far. But I mean maybe that's just a thing of being a picky child or whatever and not trying them since then. And I, I, when people would ask, I would just kind of joke. I just I respect them too much, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I think, I, I, reflecting on it is not such a fun joke as a, like a non-vegan, you know what I mean? Because I think, you know, p- people respect animals and therefore don't eat them. I think it's a bit cheeky of me to say that I, I respect mushrooms too much to eat them, but, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, but, I, but I, I do think, like, at this point, though, we know more about fungi, so, like... You know the fungi want to be eaten, so they can be right. They love the shit. That's a big theme of the book, right? That like um, yeah, <laughs> like there's the, there's leaf cutter ants that like have a fungus that lives in their in their termite hill or whatever. Or I think this happens for both ants and termites. But they they feed the fungus, and it's like has the fungus domesticated these ants? Like probably. Yeah, they they're they're they they cut leaves and feed it to the fungus, and then they eat the fungus as their food. So it's externalized digestion for them. So they, they, they yeah, they, they have like primitive agriculture with this fungus, right? Um, they've had it a lot longer than we've had. Yeah. <laughs> so the, 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 the fungi really do want to be eaten. So maybe I need to take them up on that offer. Um, but I'm, I'm getting much more curious about them. I was, I was starting to think like, oh, I could grow some in the house or something or in the garden. Yeah, it's so, it's so... Uh, it's so tough because like, okay, I've definitely done like sourdough. I've done, um, ginger beer. I've, I've done that kind of like, you know, fungal cultivation before, but like, you know, for most of my life, I, I have been like, you know, in this really hostile stance towards fungi just because black mold is not good. And like, I've been in a lot of moldy places where my respiratory health has not been healthy because of the mold. Uh, if you live anywhere with a lot of humidity and, 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 and cold, like, or even warm occasionally, um, you're going to go through that. And, and so I, I feel like much like with trees, my feelings go back and forth because I've just gone through like, probably about a solid month of like the worst hay fever I've had in my life. And that's on, on heavy duty anti-allergy medicine. Um, so if I didn't have the medicine, it would have been even worse. 
And so it's like, my life has been miserable because of trees just after doing that tree stories episode, talking about how cool trees are. Uh, and it, you know, it's been the same way with fungi. So, you know, you just gotta, I guess you just gotta like be like fungi and sort of like explore multiple directions at once. Right. Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, again, thanks, listeners. It's been wonderful. Um, while we're off exploring all these directions, you can catch us on Twitter, if that's still around, at GIUnitPod. Um, we're on all the podcast apps, so like, rate, and subscribe, and you can find us at generalintellectunit.net. Um, you can also go to patreon.com slash generalintellectunit. Give us a couple of bucks a month to help support the show and keep us alive, um, and you can get access to our community Discord that way. Um, yes. It's a fun place. You know. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, this show is also part of um, a network of podcasts uh, called Emancipation. Uh, so you can go to emancipation.network and check out our sister shows. Um, we've got Swampside Chats, From Alpha to Omega, Jumpsuit Utopia, and Mortal Science. They're all wonderful. Um, well worth checking out. Yeah. Cool. Um, in that case, yeah, go, <laughs> go, go eat some mushrooms, and uh, we'll catch you again in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.